Hey listeners, it's New Reads November. If you tune into the podcast regularly, you already know that we typically cover what I like to call throwback reads, or books written for tweens and teens in decades gone by. It's a ton of fun and also super eye-opening, but sometimes I feel like I miss out on the fun of reading new YA and middle grade. That's why New Reads November was born back in 2018. Once a year, SSR spends one month digging into a selection of recent titles. In 2021, we're kicking off New Reads November with a conversation about Emma Lord's You Have a Match. You Have a Match was selected for Reese's YA Book Club, so you already know that it's a pretty big deal. It's the story of Abby Day, a high schooler who, with the help of a mail-in DNA test, discovers a slightly older sister she knew nothing about. Her sister just happens to be Savannah Tully, a wellness influencer with an impressive following. They connect and make a plan to go to summer camp together. There are some serious parent trap vibes happening here, but there are also plenty of fresh contemporary touches, as well as a will-they-or-won't-they-love story between Abby and her best friend, Leo, who is also spending the summer at camp. On episode 168, my guests and I talk all things You Have a Match, including its parallels to The Parent Trap, our thoughts on technology and social media in books, and the way Emma Lord portrays influencer culture. We also chat about the book's queer representation and reviews that suggest that there's, quote, too much going on in the story. We dish on why we're living in the golden age of YA and why You Have a Match is proof of that, and it's just a lot of fun. For our first week of New Reads November 2021, I am thrilled to welcome Emma Benshoff, whose bookish and fabulous New York content I've been following for years on Instagram. Emma is a digital marketing manager for Underlined, the teen branch of Random House Books for Young Readers. Her favorite genre is rich teens, especially if it takes place at a boarding school or has murder. You can find her on Instagram and Twitter at Emma Benshoff. Find SSR on Instagram and Twitter at SSRPod and on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast Community. This week, we are starting a new month of cozy book talk in the free SSR Book Club, also known as the SSRBC. Our November book club selection is Meg Cabot's All American Girl and the volunteer leader team and I would love to have you join us. Learn more and get involved at www.ssrpodcast.com slash ssrbookclub or at the link in SSR's Instagram bio. Are you looking for something a little more mature with your book clubs? I get it. And good news, SSR has that for you too. Every other month, the Patreon-exclusive book club, SWR, Shit We Read votes on a grown-up book to discuss. We chat about it throughout the month on the Patreon feed and then live in a Google Hangouts meeting. In November, our pick is Kelsey McKinney's God Spare the Girls, and it's not too late to join us. Patreon is an awesome little community within the larger SSR family, and joining it gives you access to lots of cool perks in addition to the book club. Things like bonus episodes, newsletters, reading recap videos, and more. Plus, you can pat yourself on the back because you're helping this little independent podcast continue to grow. You can join for as little as a dollar per month. Learn more at www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or by visiting www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. Thanks to each and every patron tuning into this episode now. If you're not ready to become a Patreon sponsor, there are other ways to show your support for the pod. 
leave a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts, or post a screenshot of this episode to your Instagram story. These little things really do help me spread the word. Today, I'm thrilled to spread the word about another podcast you'll love if you're a fan of SSR. If you're looking for more hilarity, more thoughtfulness, and a whopping good serotonin overload in your podcast listening, Smart Podcast Trashy Books is perfect for you. Host Sarah Wendell has interviewed authors like Nalini Singh, Alyssa Cole, Sarah J. Mass, and Dr. Chuck Tingle. The show covers new releases, classic favorites, and romance-adjacent topics like sexuality, mental health, and which Oreo flavor is the greatest of all. Plus, there are book recommendations in every episode. You deserve big laughs and great reading, and Smart Podcast Trashy Books delivers both. New episodes run every Friday, and you can find the show on your favorite podcatcher. One last thing before we get things underway with New Reads November 2021. Have you heard about Libro FM? Well, if you love audiobooks and you haven't yet, you've got to check it out. Libro FM offers the exact same audiobooks at the exact same price as the big guys, but it allows you to support independent bookstores instead of giant corporations when you shop. SSR listeners can get a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Okay, let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old-school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Emma. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I've been following you on Instagram for a really long time, and it's so fun to get to meet you, not like officially face-to-face, but, you know, like as close to -to face-to-face as many of us are getting these days. Yeah. I mean, this is is about how how all my face-to-face interactions are going these days, so... Yeah, it's great. I mean, at least we can talk to people who live in all kinds of places and have awesome podcast recordings like this one. I'm really excited because today, this episode is the first episode of New Reads November 2021. I can't believe this is the fourth time that we have done New Reads November on the podcast. It's always like a weird shift in the kinds of questions that I'm asking. And I even like read these books a little bit differently. So I'm thrilled that you're along for the ride. And I can't wait to dig into this book with you. Today, we are talking about Emma Lord's You Have a Match, which was published in January of this year. Let's just talk generally. Why did you want to read this book for the podcast? Had you read it before or did you pick it up for the first time so that we could talk about it today? So I read Emma Lord's first book, Tweet Cute, a while ago. I guess it came out in 2020. Maybe, yeah, maybe 2019. Yeah. I think I read it in 2019 because I had like an early copy, so it was like I read it a while ago, but okay, um, I really loved it. I love the way that she writes. I think that sometimes in YA it's pretty hard to sound like real teenagers and it, and it sounds very like adult trying to be like a teen and like kind of cringy but I think that she does a really good job of making her characters sound like real teens and like of course you know some things are just like fun puns and stuff and not necessarily things that everyone would say but I think that she walks that balance really well 
And when I read about this book coming out, I love The Parent Trap. So I was obviously intrigued by that plot line. Yeah, I just thought it was like such a fun concept. And I did read this before. I read it right when it, like maybe like a couple months before it came out. I'm just realizing this is a ARC, but uh, it's not mine. It's my roommate's. But yeah, so I think I read it um, like about a year ago, probably. And then I picked it up again for this. And it's just such an enjoyable book. Well, thank you for rereading it for us. I would say a lot of people heard about TweetCube, but this book definitely made a bigger splash, largely, I think, because Reese Witherspoon picked it for her YA book club, which, of course, will bring like one billion eyes to any book. I did not read TweetCube, although I read a lot about it, and I am still trying to get Emma Lord on the podcast. So Emma Lord, if you're listening, from one Emma to another, we would love to have you yeah. on SSR. But TweetCube, as far as I understand it, is this like, Twitter rivals turned lovers kind of rom-com vibe. And then for this book, of course, she kind of like turns her social media attention from Twitter to Instagram. And a lot of the reviews that I read of the book, some of which, you know, maybe I'll quote as we go through this conversation, talk about the way that that Emma Lord, I feel like I have to designate like Emma Lord (laughs) as I'm talking because you're Emma. (laughs) Emma L and Emma B, like we're on The Bachelor. I feel like a lot of the reviews that Emma L got talk about not only the way she writes about teens, like you're saying, but also the way she talks about social media. I think that's interesting. I'm definitely looking forward to talking more about that as we get into this. And yes, of course, the parent trap plot. So I do this thing lately, and I don't know when it started, but I do this thing lately where like I barely read the description of a book before I pick it up. I don't know if it's because I, I read so much between like grad school and life and the podcast, but like I just like don't have time to read a summary. So I'm like, oh, this is a book somebody picked for the podcast. I will just read it. And so within a couple of pages, I was like, oh, this is the parent trap. Like this is the parent trap for a new generation. And it was really, it was kind of fun just because who doesn't love the parent trap? I assume you were raised on the Lindsay Lohan movie too. Yeah. Love it. Love it. How can you not? And there were definitely like shades of the parent trap in this book, but it has a new twist. So the whole book starts with one of those DNA tests that you get in the mail that I feel like a lot of people have been doing. There's so many companies that have them now. Emma, like you don't have to share the details, but have you ever taken one of these? I haven't. I don't know why. I I find it like kind of creepy. Like, I don't know if I want to know like everything about myself. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I, I know like the basics of like where my ancestors are from. So I don't know that I need to know like the, the inner workings, but definitely this book made me kind of like, hmm, like, what if there's some big secret I could uh, reveal? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of potential for um, life upset, as we find out in this book. I have taken one. I took one back in 2017, and I feel like the technology has just like evolved so much since then. But I took one because I wrote a story about, I forget which one it was. But I wrote a story about one of the companies that was like first in the space. And so they sent me one for free, which was great. And um, I was nervous because I think the article that I was writing was sort of focused on like the tests that identify markers for pretty serious diseases. So I had to like check yes as to whether or not I wanted to find out about those markers which is really scary. And they were like diseases that run in my family. So I was very freaked out. But I did not check boxes about things like alert me if you know of anybody who's related to me because I was like, I can't, I can't go there right now. And when I took the test, 
And I, again, I think it's probably developed further by this point. When I took the test, they couldn't really like identify specifically where your family was from. It was more like broadly what continent was your family from. And so my test came back like 49% Ashkenazi Jewish and 51% Western European. And I was like, helpful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think that these kind of things, like I feel like it is super helpful. Like if you don't know your ancestry necessarily, but my family is my parents are very into like family history and that kind of stuff. So I feel like I, I already I know what I need to know and I don't need to know anymore. Yeah, my mother-in-law has met like a lot of relatives on I think Ancestry.com. Like she has really, really taken advantage of these platforms. Um, and I do think there are people that love it and sort of like live for the thrill of finding this information out. But as we see and you have a match, it's not always as easy as you think it's going to be. And I think it's worth noting up front, like the title, You Have a Match, for me, at least as somebody who did not read the summary, I'm thinking that the match in the title is going to refer to a like a love match, like yeah. maybe online dating or just like an app, right? An app or like even just like, oh, there's somebody that's a good match for me, like <laughs> maybe in a more old school sense. And um, pretty quickly, you realize like, oh, no, we're talking about like a DNA match. And I think there have been like a slew of books that have come out recently that are about like DNA matchmaking and that sort of thing. So this does seem to be very hot as a premise, but that's not what's going on. Abby Day, our main character, takes one of these DNA tests sort of just to be like a friend because her pal, Leo, has decided to take one because he wants to learn more about his heritage. He is adopted and he wants to know more about his family in the Philippines and so Abby is like, great, like, I don't want you to do it by yourself. And she's also made a bet with her friend Connie about like, who's more Irish, which is so hilarious. And I do think it's in those moments that like you said, Emma B, Emma L really shines in like, figuring out these moments that high schoolers like really come alive in interesting ways. Like, yeah, I would totally have had a silly argument with a friend about like, oh, like, which one of us has like, more of this particular type of ancestry and like have a bet around it that's such a high school thing yeah I definitely think that like that just like makes me laugh like it's so funny and like I do think it's like cute how she was just doing it to like support her friend yeah she doesn't want him to feel like he is finding out all this information on his own it is pretty scary when you think about it like it's a pretty big undertaking for a teenager to be like, well, I guess this is when I find out all this information potentially about my biological parents. This is like an annoying detail. I think Leo is 18. Abby is not 18. So I'm like, I don't know that you actually would have been able to take this DNA test. Although I guess there's like a way to sneak around it. Leo, I think, is 18 and would have had no problem accessing this information to get the DNA test if he wanted it. Probably neither here nor there. I don't need to be a stickler for the details, but I did want to point that out. But let's talk a little bit about Abby more generally before we dive into what happens when she gets the results of her DNA test back. Emma, what were your thoughts on Abby as we were getting to know her in the beginning of the book? I liked her. I thought she was cute. I loved her friendship with Connie. I think that it, that's like another moment where I thought it was very true to like a real life friendship I thought that the scenes of the three of them together with Leo were like very endearing and made you like care about you know them as individuals I will say that in Tweet Cute the main character is like obsessed with snacks 
And so I really liked her because like, I just loved her description of snacks. So I did miss the snack descriptions, but I did really like her. Yeah, I liked her too. It seems to me like maybe Emma L replaced snacks with like clumsiness for Abby. Yeah, I'm mean, even reading the back of the book and it says injury prone tree climber. I love that injury prone can become a personality type. And I'm not saying it's not because I do think some people are just more accident prone than others. But we do get a lot about like all of the bruises and scars and scratches that Abby is covered in at all times. Yeah, and I think that a lot of that is like, uh, you know, like a setup for how different she is from a character we meet later on. Right. We won't give it away for another few minutes. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's true. I think... It's also in some ways, I guess, a way of like showing, not telling upfront because we learn later on that Abby like pushes some boundaries. She's kind of like trying to figure out what it means to be brave, I think, over the course of the book. And early on, she doesn't necessarily see herself as brave. But we, I think as readers, well, I won't speak for you, but I'm reading this and I'm like hearing all of these anecdotes about how she's like climbed to interesting places and kind of taken these little risks that have led to the bumps and bruises and scratches that she has. And to me, I'm like, okay, maybe she doesn't see herself as brave, but she certainly is open to taking risks. But the author doesn't have to come right out and say that because she's already building this case for this character who clearly has no problem like doing things a little bit more dangerous than others would do. Yeah, totally. I think also like it kind of just is like a like a metaphor but like there are different ways of being brave and maybe she's physically she's she's brave with taking physical risks but not necessarily ones that might lead to emotional strife or something like that and so she maybe doesn't see herself as brave but she is adventurous you know Mm -hmm. yeah she's very physically adventurous and very athletic it would seem although clumsy like she's happy to be out like using her body in these like very strong athletic ways But she is not taking one very major risk, and that is in her relationship with Leo. When we meet Abby, not only is she waiting for the results of this DNA test, but she's also processing what she calls the BEI, or the Big Embarrassing Incident, which is a moment that like, I felt in every pore of my being, even all of these years after graduating from high school, even after being in a relationship with the same person for a very long time, Abby had a moment with her best friend Leo where they like almost kissed and then it didn't happen and it was very awkward and ever since then it's been extremely unclear like who feels what about who and it's just very confusing and I totally felt for Abby as she tried to figure out how she was supposed to act around Leo. Yeah I think that like no matter what everyone has had a, a, a big embarrassing moment if you will a big embarrassing incident. Sorry. Yes. Uh, you know, right. I think that like, even if it's not necessarily with a crush, like I think everyone has something where if like you say like, what's a big embarrassing incident in your life? Like everyone can immediately think of something and it doesn't matter if it was like 10 years ago. Like it's just, it just like makes you want to cringe. And, and I think like a lot of times when I'm watching a TV show or a movie, I like feel that secondhand embarrassment. I don't feel it as much in books, but I feel like I really felt it in this scene where I was like, oh my gosh, like I just feel so awful for her yeah because like you can't that doesn't that you can't like that I'm obviously at a loss for words that you can't just make that go away like you were both there (laughs) when it happened (laughs) yeah you can't just like brush over it like as a joke or like oh my gosh haha like you can't like like ever and it's and it's it's scary especially as a teenager but just in general to be vulnerable with someone and so like 
you know, obviously like her feelings are hurt and like she feels awkward around her friend and someone that she once felt very close to. And I think that that's like something that everyone can relate to, even if it's not necessarily with a romantic partner. Right. And also because they haven't talked about it, I think there's a part of her that's like, oh, maybe it didn't happen. Or maybe we can just pretend forever that it didn't. And we were talking about how she is so open to taking risks physically, but she is like definitely not big on like challenging conversations or what are they like courageous conversations I don't know what the like tagline is that people use but she's like not excited to open this discussion she doesn't want to talk to Leo about it so she's just like continuing to do her best and I think part of doing her best is showing up for him to take this DNA test because she's like oh this will be a thing we can do as buddies yeah totally completely platonic but when the results come in Leo doesn't really get any information, which is very disappointing, but Abby does, and it's not what she expected. She opens her results to find, and I quote, a message request from a girl named Savannah Tully, who the DNA site identifies as my full-blooded sister. (gasps) Gasp. Dun, dun, dun. It's an interesting twist, and I do think, like, I'm always fascinated when I think about the way that technology of all kinds, functions in pop culture, and of course, for the purposes of this podcast, books. And I'm always like, I have mixed feelings sometimes when social media especially plays a huge role in a book, just because I worry that it's going to make it so dated at a certain point. And I, I think this book definitely opens up that conversation. But I think this moment where Abby is able to get this information literally in the palm of her hand, because we have evolved technology that allows her to have a DNA test sent in from her home and then to get the results to her phone, like that opens up so many interesting plot possibilities and just kind of like revolutionizes storytelling even a little bit. Like this small technological advancement creates all of these other stories. What do you think? I think, yeah, I agree with you. Sometimes I hate when books talk about social media. I think it really depends on the book. And, you know, there are some books that, like, I obviously read as a child, like The Click, which, like, I have not read recently, but I assume that the technology aspect does not hold up. Or it's, like, it's like irrelevant technology that's, like, at this point irrelevant, MySpace, that kind of thing. But at the same time, like, I think that the people who read this book now obviously I'll use Instagram and Facebook. And then if they read it again in the future, it's like a nostalgia thing. I think that also at this point in time, both Facebook and Instagram specifically have like solidified their place in history as to even if we do not use them again in the future, people will know what they are, you know? And so I do think that that's interesting. And I, I, on the DNA side of it, I mean, yeah, it definitely opens plot possibilities for like all kinds of books like thrillers like I don't know it's like I feel like a lot of different books could be using that but I liked how it was done here and I wouldn't want this to happen to me but I think it's like a fun storyline and I do think that like as someone who reads a lot of YA I love something that's like so different you know it's not as similar to every to a lot of the YA that I read I just love that it's like such a unique plot plot Yeah, I mean, contrary, I think, to popular belief, I actually don't read a lot of YA outside of the podcast, which is why I really enjoy New Reads November, because it's basically the only 
opportunity I have to like read the hottest, coolest new YA because I'm either reading older YA in middle grade for the podcast or like desperately trying to find time to read adult books. So I love that you kind of have a better sense of what's out there. And and this is completely different than anything else you've read. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I work in YA, so I obviously read a lot of it. And I, I will say, like, I think that this is like, you know, I know people talk a lot about the golden age of television. And I think it's like a golden age of YA. Like, there are so many great YA authors out there and just like such inventive plots. And, and I really love that. But this is definitely one where I don't think I've read anything about DNA testing before. Yeah, not for teens, at least. Yeah, not for teens. Okay, so I will share my little moment about social media in books, and then we can move on. But I will say, like, it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately, because the project that I recently started in grad school has a pretty heavy, like, social media element. And I am just like so painfully aware of the way I react to it in the books that I read that I want to be very thoughtful about the way that I'm writing it. And I think there's such a fine line between like including elements of whatever technology is relevant to the time period in which you're writing about and having like an entire plot tied up in like the way social media is functioning in a character's life. And I worry that sometimes just like given the premise of my project, which I hesitate to call a novel, although I'm hoping that's what it's growing into. I worry a little bit that it's like leaning in the direction of like, this is a book that's very tied up in the lives of people on social media. I do think it's like unavoidable that we mention things like Facebook and Instagram in the books that are being published today or books that are being written about the time period that we're living in now. Like you can't read a book from decades in the past without mentions of like a landline or a a television and like that's totally fine and I I actually to your point like maybe this is an extreme statement but I almost feel like Facebook and Instagram are like the landlines and televisions of like the 40s and 50s and 60s like they're just that ubiquitous so at some point I do think it will feel less like technology and more just like fixtures in somebody's everyday life but I don't know I, I think there's just like such a fine line for me at least as a reader about like how much social media I want to see play a role in a book. And I think part of it is like, we just don't know how our attitudes about these things are going to progress in the future. Yeah. I also think, especially in the context of teens, it's really, it's really hard to not include uh, any social media. Like, I just think that like, if, if you're writing a book for teens today, there has to be some form of social media in it. Even if it's not a big plot, like you're not just not going to mention it. Because that's just not realistic to teens today. I mean, it's not realistic to anyone today, but especially like in a high school setting, like everyone, like it would just be weird for no one to be on their phone at some point, you know? So I think that at this point, it's pretty much like inevitable. But yeah, I think it definitely varies from book to book on A, how well that is done and B, how big of a plot it is. But like we think like Pretty Little Liars that was like texting gossip girl it's like a blog and so you know it's it's inter- interesting now with the new gossip girl that it's instagram so you know i do think that these things can like progress over time but it is definitely interesting to think about yeah and it's also kind of cool to look at like any additional sneaky layer that an author is trying to insert or like seems to be trying to insert about like the role that social media can play in characters lives especially if those characters are younger and of course like we don't want anything preachy for the YA audience but I do think like this book 
I think it's, I think you could argue that this book is trying to say something about like the impact that living so much of your life on social media can have on like your self-confidence or on your self-worth. And Emma Lord manages to do that without, again, being preachy or without like hitting readers over the head with that message. So I do think like I really appreciate it when social media is used a lot in a book, but there seems to be like a message about it. Yeah, I agree. I think that it was done really well here where it's not like an after school special or something where you're like, oh my gosh, we get it. Like, you know, I think that it's inevitable to have these conversations about social media. And I think that it is probably important for teens to see this and see that they're not the only people who feel like inadequate based on what they see of other people on social media. And I think we can get into it later, but like with Savvy, Savannah, is her name Savannah? It's Savvy, but it's her full name. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we hear her name as Savannah for like the first time. And then she's just like savvy from there on out. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that it was that. Yeah, but I think you know, we see how maybe what's playing out on social media isn't necessarily always the case in her real life. And so I do think that that this book um, and Emma Lord did a good job of, you know, kind of walking that balance between being uh, between like giving a message, which I think she did very well and being preachy, which I do not think that she did. Yeah. I don't think there's an ounce of preaching in this book, but let's get back into the action of the book. So we just mentioned Savannah, AKA Savvy, who is the full-blooded sister that Abby refers to um, when she gets the news about her DNA match. And she's like kind of freaking out as one would. Again, she's like a child. I mean, she's a teenager, but she's fundamentally a child who has gotten this news and she doesn't know how to process it. We know that she's not big on big conversations, so she's not exactly like itching to go talk to her parents about this and really like who would be. She has, I think, three younger brothers. Her family is like very busy dealing with all of these children. I think she often feels like kind of pushed aside, except that her parents are like constantly on her case about her grades and making sure that she's going to be set up well for college because her grades are like not that great um, as they stand at the beginning of the book. And so think she just is like feeling a little bit lost in her family but she decides to go meet savvy um they meet in this park in seattle i really like the seattle setting as a side note uh one of my best friends is from seattle and i still haven't gotten a chance to go and i would really like to and i think so often we only like hear or see about a certain part of seattle and it was really cool to get a glimpse at some of these other neighborhoods and different um areas but abby and savvy meet at the park And Abby realizes that this savvy is a savvy that she knows from social media. She has quite the Instagram following. She's kind of like a wellness influencer. Um, She does some spawn con. She's, I think, like a year and a half older than Abby. So she's probably like 18 or 19. And she is like doing a great job online. What did you think about Savannah when we met her? Yeah. Oh, I also enjoyed the Seattle locations i grew up in seattle for i lived oh. in seattle the first eight years of my life so i kind of liked that little like nod to seattle and i just i love when books aren't oh like i love to read books that are set in different places that that's i feel like i read i mean and this is like my own doing because i love like rich prep school books and so like obviously <laughs> i read a lot of books about teens on the east coast and so right. you know it was nice to read about some kids elsewhere and um but yeah i i actually thought i liked savvy i think that the influencer thing like it could get dicey i think that they did a good or that 
Emma Lord did a good job. Like she seems very nice. She doesn't seem particularly snobby or anything like that. And of course, I mean, why would she be to like her, her sister? But yeah, I liked her. I liked that it was like a wellness influencer. I thought that was kind of like a fun addition because that is like a side of social media that is very intense and it's like fascinating to me like the wellness side versus maybe just making her like a fashion blogger so yeah I thought that was like an interesting choice yeah when we got the first reference to Savvy's following I was like oh she's definitely a fashion blogger and fashion bloggers are great but I was like very excited when I kept reading and I found out that she was going for a little bit of a different twist and I think it also I would imagine when I think about like the author's approach to this, it probably made it a little bit easier to make Savannah like obviously likable on the page because she wants to use her platform for like a certain purpose and like spreading wellness. Whereas I think, you know, you use the word dicey, Emma, like I I would imagine that writing a character like Savannah, who's using her platform purely for profit or like purely to talk about fashion, it might be a little bit dicier in the writing. Not to say that fashion bloggers like can't be using their platforms for good because many of them are, but I think in terms of making it a really cut and dry situation, casting her as a wellness influencer might have made it a little bit easier. Yeah, and I think that like the role of influencers is obviously debated, you know, whether it's good or bad, but I think that probably fashion bloggers and wellness bloggers, I think get not like a bad rep, but there's definitely a lot of controversy surrounding both because, you know, one is pushing you to buy things and the other is telling you things to do with your body when they may or may not have that expertise. And I, and I think a lot of it is unfair, right? Like I think that a lot of the conversation surrounding influencers in our culture has to do with the fact that it's like often young women and things that young women like to do are weird or bad and they're ashamed for it but I do think that some of it there is some like interesting conversation to be had about I think particularly wellness influencers and you know that kind of influence on younger people when they're not doctors you know so but I actually thought it was like a nice it added an element to the story that she was a wellness influencer yeah I really liked that part of it um and I liked Savvy you know it was nice to feel this warmth from her and they both were sufficiently uncomfortable about meeting each other for the first time. Obviously, it's like a very weird situation. And I think that if Savvy had like walked in with a certain like confidence about it and had maybe, I don't know, not betrayed her discomfort with the situation, again, it would have been very easy for us to be like, oh, this is that kind of influencer. But she was like very lovable and endearing. And I mean, different than Abby, very different than Abby, much more uptight, very together. And I think Abby is like nervous about how they will get along. But I was happy that she was sort of fumbling through the interaction too. And I think that that's like realistic, right? Like, yeah, even if someone is super put together on social media and they're, and the, you know, they're, I mean, it's like that saying, which is probably a cliche, but like social media is a highlight reel, right? She's not uh, meeting her sister for the first time on Instagram. It, it's an awkward experience. It's not going to be, even if you're the most confident person in the world, you would be thrown by this situation. So I think it definitely speaks again to that like idea that like that people are different on social media than they are in person. And, you know, even like the p- people who have thousands or millions of followers, like they're still normal people and they still get nervous and, you know, they don't know how to react perfectly in every situation. And I think that that's something that's kind of lost a lot of the time because we're only seeing people on screen. But like 
just as an aside, I watched the D'Amelio show. Oh, how was it? It was like Charlie D'Amelio's family show. And I found, at first of all, I thought it was very good. I recommend it. But second of all, a huge chunk of the show is about the role, the the toll, that, that being online and, and having such a following takes on both girls because they're like 16 and 18 and like the commentary about their life and like everything they do, you know, and they talk about like getting nervous or like their anxiety and that kind of stuff. And I think that it, what the show does and what this kind this opening scene with Savvy does is show that no matter how many followers someone has there, that, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be nervous or ever, or that they have different emotions than, than someone with 300 followers. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And for context, I think the book says that Savvy has half a million followers, um, if that helps listeners kind of contextualize like just how big Savvy is. I will know because this is something that um, happily comes up again and again in our New Reads November books that we are, of course, finally seeing so much refreshing queer rep in the YA books that are coming out today. And we hear quite a bit about Savvy's girlfriend and we get a sense that she and her friend Mickey are kind of flirting with each other. So again, like it's just so great to see. I hate that it's 2021 and we're like only now getting it consistently across the board, but like, oh, here's like this very awesome fitness influencer and her girlfriend. Like, was that so hard? Like, why did it take us so long to get that kind of rep in YA? Totally. And I think that like, it's nice to see queer representation where you know, she's pretty girly. She's not like necessarily like a stereotypical, yes. you know, I just think that like, it's it's nice to see representation across the board and that queer people don't look one way, you know, they don't act one way. And I think that like, even when we were getting that kind of, we, when we were getting representation, like maybe a while back, it was very clear cut. Like, this is what a queer person looks like. This is what a gay person looks like, you know, and this is how they act. And now I think that we like, like I said, golden age of YA, we're getting so many different characterizations because, you know, obviously every single person is different. So I love that we get that variety. Yeah, I also think that early queer rep often centered around like a coming out story or around yeah. a queer character's like torment about their sexuality totally. or about like the experience of sharing their story with their loved ones. And in some cases being rejected. And it's just, it's so nice that we've like moved from that important phase into this phase where it's just like, oh, here are all these other things about Savvy and also here's her girlfriend. So um, of course we want to call that out as much of the focus of New Reads November is on like how the industry is continuing to move forward. So yeah, I mean, these two girls have a predictably awkward encounter. Abby notices some things about how they like look a lot of like, this is where we really get some of the parent trap stuff. Like, oh, like you basically have my face and like you've straightened your hair, but I can tell that it's secretly curly, you know, details like that. We also have a moment where uh, Savvy shows Abby a picture of her adoptive parents and Abby recognizes Savvy's adoptive mom from a wedding photo of her parents. So we learn that Savvy's adoptive mom officiated the wedding between Abby's parents and also Savvy's biological parents. So we have a little seed there of the connection between the adults in the book. But sort of skipping ahead a bit, uh, they end up at the same summer camp. And this is summer camp that like, if there was anything that I had trouble buying into in this book, it was this whole summer camp because this is a summer camp that has like, quote unquote, like normal summer camp activities, but also this like 
academic remediation arm and then also like an academic like advanced arm if that makes sense so Abby's parents had been pushing her to go to this camp for a long time because they want her to up her SAT scores and just like generally improve her study skills. And she didn't want to go. She didn't want to go. And then she finds out that Savvy is going as like a junior camp counselor of some sort. And so Abby decides that she'll go because again, like parent trap vibes, this will be a great way for them to get to know each other away from their parents. I just, I was like, really, like, it's hard for me to understand a camp that has all of these different, like, academic and non-academic levels. I couldn't suspend my disbelief there. Yeah, I think that it is, like, it's a convenient, it's yeah. a convenient location it's for a good sure. Solution. <laughs> I didn't really go to summer camp as a kid, so I'm not, like, very versed in, like, what, I, I went to, like, day camp, right? Like, or, like, I, I went to like I guess I went to sleepaway camp like with my church as a kid for like a week but I never did like the the all summer thing that a lot of kids do you know and a lot of my friends did that but I never did it so I think because of that I love a camp setting so I was willing to suspend my disbelief just because I love that kind of setting but I also read another YA book recently that's called camp and that one was also- which is coming up next week on new reads November oh my gosh, look at that. <laughs> okay well I won't spoil anything but that was a camp setting I had more trouble with the setting interesting well as yeah. we're recording this I'm actually starting camp tonight so okay I'll have to know your thoughts I'm excited to hear yeah yeah we'll have to talk about it so I think I just had trouble suspending my disbelief on this one because like there's a whole like there's a whole through line in which Abby is kind of figuring out how to like move her way between different academic and non-academic tracks at the camp so like this interesting camp structure comes up again and again, like for a solid, I don't know, like 50 pages of the book. It's not like we mention it one time and we forget it. Like Abby is sort of on a constant quest to get out of this SAT prep track at camp. Um, so it was just like distracting me a little bit, but maybe that's an annoying distraction and others might not feel that way. So once they get to camp, there's a lot going on because Savvy's there. She has sort of like a whole fan club there. It seems like a lot of the kids came to camp just so that they could like be in Savvy's presence. They're like super fans of hers. And it's really funny, actually. Leo is also at the camp. He works in the kitchen. He's, side note, a fantastic chef. A lot of the food that he cooks and that Emma Lord describes to us sounds delicious. And I want to try it all. Um, and Leo and Savvy actually have like a long history together because they've been going to this camp for a long time. So Abby's like kind of in an interesting situation there because she was like, I have this whole life with Leo, but Savvy also has this whole life with Leo. They have another friend named Finn, who is kind of like more of a bad boy type. Um, and then Mickey, who I mentioned earlier as Savvy's friend, who she seems to have some sexual tension of some sort with. But there's a lot going on because Abby and Savvy are trying to get to know each other. Abby's trying not to be like too weird with Leo. There's also some interesting vibes between Abby and Finn where I thought maybe they were going to get together. If there was one criticism that I found in reading the reviews of this book, it was that maybe there's like too much going on. Like a lot of reviewers said that they wanted more of the focus to be on the quote secret sister plot. And I think it's because people were perhaps expecting more of like a parent trap storyline, like thinking about those scenes in the parent trap where we have the girls sitting across from each other in the canteen and they're like showing pictures of their houses and talking about their family members and like learning each other's likes and dislikes and just really trying to like catch up on lost time and instead we get 
much more of a variety of camp life for Abby and Savvy. Like Abby's really making new friends and learning about herself and kind of exploring her love for photography in a way that she hasn't always been comfortable doing. I think summer viewers just felt like the book could have picked Elaine in a different way as far as either being a story about the sister relationship or being more of a rom-com. How would you respond to, to that? And I, and I don't know that I agree necessarily. I think I could be persuaded either way. So I actually love, and I was just looking at reviews too, because um, like I pulled up the book on Goodreads and one of my friends wrote this review, um, her name's Faith. I just read this part of her review that I really agree with where she said, I love this new wave of YA books that focus on female friendships, but still have a healthy dose of romance. So like, that's kind of how I feel. Like I like to read books in the YA space. I don't love to read a romance because it just makes me feel old. Like, uh, like I still love a romance. That's not true. Like I do love a teen romance, but I like to read books that have, you know, they have their romance, but they also have another storyline. So I really loved the sister storyline and I didn't find it distracting that the, there was also the storyline with, with Leo, but I, I can see how other people feel that way. But I personally love when there is like a, a major storyline and then like some romance. Cause you know, I always want a little romance. I, I love the romance. I'm not hating on romance. I'm a big romance reader and I love a little romance, but like, I appreciate that the, not to be like cliche, but like that these characters are more than just a romance. Like, they have other things going on in their lives. And I don't know that if it had been a story about just Leo and Abby, I would have been as interested. Like, I'm just trying to, like, if it was a story about Abby and Leo going to camp together. Eh. Yeah. I don't know. Like, like, like I think that the, the thing that makes me like love that is like, love the story is the sister relationship. And then the romance is a great side addition in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree. Um, I'm just still, I'm still processing like all of the reviews that I read. So I'm not quite sure where I come down on this. I agree. I think that just the story of Leo and Abby at camp together would have felt kind of like derivative of a lot of other YA romance that we've read. And so I love that there were these other elements of the book. I'm just deciding if I felt like, I guess what I want to say is I, <laughs> I think that the romance story needed the sister slash friend story. I don't know if I feel like the sister slash friend story needed the romance story. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense okay. to me. Yeah, I definitely think I could have read a book that was just about the sisters. No yeah. romance in it. I don't think that I would have been very interested in a book that's like about, I mean, that's not true. Like I love a camp book. I love a summer romance. I don't know if you ever read, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but the new Sarah Dessen, it's like two years old. That one is like, it's not, it's not at a camp, but it's at like a summer house. Mm. um it's like these these kids who live on like opposite sides of a lake from each other in the summer so that one like I love that kind of setting I love a summer setting it's especially to read in the summer but I do think that like the more appealing plot to me here is the sisters though I do think that Leo is a dreamboat like he was a good leading man for sure to your point about the food descriptions I think that this is a, a huge strength of Emma Lords I follow her on Instagram so I know that she's like very into food and snacks and like we have that in common I'm obsessed with food I'm obsessed no that's okay everyone's obsessed with food I'm obsessed with snacks specifically and like different kinds of snacks and candy that are coming out and so I love this this aspect of her books it's a huge part of to be cute and it it's also in this book with Leo and his love for cooking but I really love that aspect of her her writing 
Yeah, I also love that we learn about some Filipino dishes because Leo is like trying to connect to his heritage through food. Like that was pretty interesting. Was there any part of you that thought that maybe she would end up with Finn or were you like, this is a distraction the whole time? No, I definitely thought maybe maybe Leo wasn't the man for her, which I was sad because I loved Leo. I liked Finn as well. I thought that everyone in this cast was pretty likable. There wasn't anyone that I was like, oh, you suck, which I do feel that way sometimes. So I thought that everyone was really likable. I definitely sensed some chemistry between her and Finn, but I guess that's just not the way we're going. We're going with Leo. The the leading man in her heart the whole time. He gets to be the leading man at the end. We won't get into all the details of like the ups and downs of Abby and Savvy's relationship, of which there are many. You know, they're trying to figure out how they're supposed to be around each other. They are trying to learn a little bit about how all of this happened, like how Savvy came to be adopted by her adoptive parents, how Abby then came to be born a year and a half later. There's a lot of uh, winding roads that get us to the point where all of the adults end up at the camp at the same time. And it was sort of like a parent trap moment of like when they all are at the Stafford Hotel in San Francisco together um, with the dog, of course. And they all just kind of have to like face the music and, and face what happened 18 years ago. We've already spoiled a lot, so I won't spoil the story of like how Abby and Savvy's parents met and like why there was a lot of drama between them when Savvy was born. Because it is an interesting story. I will say like I kind of loved the adult relationships. And the good news is that while there is some tension between the parents when they first meet by the end of the book, they all kind of like come around and are friends again. And as an adult, like I just loved kind of picking up on the hints of like the way that they had bonded as friends years before, like the things that had brought them together. And like, they have all of these inside jokes and rituals as a foursome. And I thought that was really special. Yeah, I agree. I actually really loved the parent storyline. I really loved that scene when they're all together. Definitely. It was very parent trap reminiscent, but I really liked this storyline. I thought it was very compelling and interesting. It wasn't just like an easy answer. And it actually reminded me a lot of Little Fires Everywhere, which mm. is a totally different genre and a totally different book. But I thought I thought that this this ending, not to spoil anything, but it was just like a very inter- it just was very compelling and left me with a lot to think about. But I really liked it, and I also really liked the parents. I thought that they all seemed very distinct. Like sometimes I feel like in YA, the parents can kind of like get jumbled together because they're not the main characters. You know, like who really cares about the parents? But I felt like. The, the parents in this book were very distinct and I liked that yeah and, and I would say that as the book comes to an end like the themes are really about like found family which I love I mean I love a found family story there's a lot that these girls have to figure out and so they figure out some of it by the end of the book and Abby in particular is still very much on a journey when the book comes to an end but she does have this moment where she's like looking around her at the friends that she has made and like the parents of the friends that she's made and this just interesting community that she's put together. And I think it really speaks to the way a lot of people of all ages assemble their own communities today. And it just really resonated me. Like it hit me really deep in my gut, this idea that this like high school senior has found her way to an interesting variety of people who all contribute to her life in different ways, whose lives she can contribute to in different ways. Just, it kind of made me emotional. Yeah, I agree. I love a found family story. I love an ensemble cast. I love, I love when a when a group of friends in a book seems like people that you would know in real life. And I think that that's 
kind of the case here. I think that everyone knows someone like these characters. And it's funny, I think that as a teen, I would have related more with Abby, but I think as a adult, I re relate more with Savvy. So that's like some character growth maybe in my own journey. Hmm. But um, I do think that like a lot of YA books now do focus on this found family um, because it's just like such a heartwarming storyline, I think, and it can go so many ways. Yeah. Well, there's a lot that we didn't spoil about this book because there's a lot to it. There's lots of different storylines. So I feel better about the things that we did spoil because there's plenty of other surprises. And to be fair, it does say on the back of the book sure. that she finds her sister. So technically, we did not spoil that. It's like right on the back. Well, we spoiled the Leo thing now. We spoiled the Leo thing. We spoiled oh, the love story. Okay, okay. But that's okay. Okay, well, that's okay. Yeah. You don't know how they got there, though. There's a lot that happened. So I, it's oh, okay. Yeah. If you have not read this book, there's still a lot for you to discover. But I've decided, Emma, and you are our first New Reads November guest of 2021, and I've decided that this year's New Reads November signature question is, and you're the first one to get to answer it, how does the book that you read for New Reads November 2021 on SSR, in this case, you have a match, compared to the books that you remember reading when you were a teen reader yourself? And what do you think that says about the direction that YA is moving in general? Wow, that's a great question. Okay. I actually think this book is very reminiscent of a Sarah Dessen book to me. And I loved Sarah Dessen. I was a Sarah Dessen stan. I was obsessed with her books, especially in the summer. And I will say that Sarah Dessen books tend to be a little bit heavier. And this was not that. It was not heavy. But I think it's just the it was just such a distinctly summer book. And that's why I thought it was kind of odd that it came out in January, but that can yeah. be pandemic related things and all of that. Like, I don't know. I know a lot of stuff happened behind the scenes, happens behind the scenes, especially last year. So I don't know if it was meant to come out later or earlier, but, or that they wanted it to come out earlier so it could be out for summer because that happens too. But I thought this was a very like distinctly summer book. And so to me, like that's the parallel to Sarah Dessen, not necessarily content. And I would say that I think that, like, obviously, as a whole, YA is much more diverse in every sense of the word. Um, and I think that this book is such a fun read because it's not necessarily one thing. It's not necessarily just a romance. It's not just necessarily just like a, a family story. I think that it, it covers a lot of topics. And I guess we know from the reviews that that's not for everyone, but it is for me. And I think that I think that that kind of shows how YA has grown so much. And I think that because YA has grown so much, you know, I think when YA started out, people were like, oh, that's for teenage girls. So it's very formulaic, right? And I think that what, what you have imagined and so many other YA books now prove is that it's not formulaic. There are, are a million different plots because not every teenage girl is the same. And not every, and you know, of course we know that adults read YA, but just in general, there is now YA for every type of person. And I think that's so important and that books don't necessarily have to fall into one specific genre, right? Like I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily call this a romance, but I wouldn't not call it a romance. Like it has romance in it. I just love that. I love the way you captured that. I agree with so much of what you said. Um, and I'm so happy that we read this book together. Thank you so much for choosing it because I was really looking forward to reading it. I wanted to know what one of Reese's YA picks would be like. Other than you have a match, Emma, what have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our listeners? All right, I have two books. Um, one is Better Than the Movies by Lynn Painter. 
This is a YA book. I actually haven't heard that much about it. I saw it once on Instagram and then I I picked it up at the bookstore because I thought it was like a cute cover. And um, it is super cute. It is about a girl who um, is obsessed with movie soundtracks and rom-coms. And she grew up watching rom-coms. And this is another book where I feel like the pop culture references are just amazing. And she kind of like, for every guy that she has a crush on in her life, she has like a playlist. It's like, reminds her songs that, like that, that remind her of that person and I and in the book there's actually like at the end of the book there's like the, the playlist for like this particular character that she ends up with and I just love that I think that like that kind of thing in YA and just in books in general is so fun and different um so that was a really fun romance and then because we are into the fall and in the fall I love to read a dark academia or you know some prep school vibes my other recommendation is a lesson in vengeance by victoria lee and i might be a little biased because this is a underlined book it is a delacour book but it is so good um it is about a girl at a boarding school it's honestly a little hard to describe but there's some magical elements but if you're not a magical person which i i typically like things to be grounded in reality i would say that this is mostly grounded in reality with a slight magical element which i love and if you are looking for a fun fall vibes book this is that's a good one well i'm very excited to check out both of those recommendations listeners i will include links to them in the show notes if you want to go check it out i will also include links to all of the reviews that i found well, not all of not all of the reviews in the whole world of you have a match, but a whole bunch of reviews about of you have a match if you want to go check it out. And links to Emma's social media. Is there anything else that you want to plug or share with us today, Emma? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, probably Instagram is where I'm the most active. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to read this book again and talk with me about it. I had the best time. This was a great way to kick off New Reads November. Thanks so much for having me. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>